Before I forget, there was an announcement that I meant, I meant to make this morning. We are having our annual meeting after the second service today. This is when we elect our officers and receive our annual report. And uh, you're all invited, whether you're members of the church or not. Of course, the really great news is that there's lunch afterwards. So, and you're all invited. So, yes. It, um, the service really, you know, the second service starts at 10.30, and it usually it's about an hour and 15 minutes, so I think probably, yeah, I think quarter till will be about the time when it starts, the meeting starts. Okay, I would like to invite you once again to my father's workshop this morning. You remember it, I think, along one wall. In my dad's workshop, there was a large workbench with a DeWalt radial arm saw right in the middle of it. Kids are taught never to touch it for good reasons. On the other side of the room, there's a large flat table. In reality, it was a piece of plywood on sawhorses. Multiple purposes for this table. However, one of the purposes was to lay out plans and to study the plans and to look at blueprints. Over here, there's a drill press and a jointer, and there's various power tools around underneath the bench. And of course, the unique feature in my father's workshop was there was a barber chair in the middle of the workshop where young hoodlums were transformed into young citizens <laughs> over and over again. Ah, oh, the power of a haircut to change uh, perceptions. <laughs> Today, I'd like to walk over to a file cabinet. We had old file cabinets that were repurposed and open the doors, drawers of one of those file cabinets to focus on several tools in this workshop, tools that came in various shapes and sizes, all different, but they perform similar function. Actually, the first one was not in the file cabinet, it was hanging on the wall, and it is a steel framing square, a carpenter's square, it looks like this. But in the cabinet itself were its cousins, the tri-square and the combination square. You must have these in order to build a house because correct angles are so important. They're the key to strength in construction. So I'm told, having never done this myself, but I understand the concept. And then there's this, a yardstick. Not especially fancy, but it's really useful for measuring and making straight lines. It's also great for getting a classroom of fourth graders to pay attention suddenly. My fourth grade teacher did this. When things got loud and unruly, he would take it and he'd go wham on the, on the desk. Did you, anybody have a teacher that did that? They must have taught that in, in teaching school. Yeah, yeah, and it is, 
It is loud, and it gets your attention in a hurry. Here's an amazing tool, the measuring tape. You won't see a framer or a, uh, a carpenter without one of these attached to his or her belt. Measure twice. <laughs> you know that, that's, that's so cool. Measure twice, cut once. Yeah, if you're careful, you can do it the first time. And then there's this, a chalk line. Used to make long guiding lines on which to cut or really do just about anything. You could even mark out the perfect hopscotch court with one of these. Not that I would ever have done that with my dad's chalk line. <laughs> or maybe I did, I don't know. Do you know what this is? Yeah, I think it's one of the, one of the funniest names for a tool in the, whole, in the whole workshop, plum bob. I always waited for the opportunity for someone named Bob to say, hey, what's this? And I could say, that's a plum bob. <laughs> You know, you use this to determine a vertical line. You hang it down and, you know, what's up above is, you know, absolutely directly, vertically above what's below. It's, of course, these days you can also, um, well, actually, you can, you, you can also use, uh, in order to find vertical lines, you can use a level. It looks like this. Vertical and horizontal lines, apparently, because the bubbles go both ways, the little windows. And these days you can, um, you can use actually this, which is uh, a laser level, which is, that's a really cool tool. It's funny, we didn't have one of those in my dad's workshop. They weren't invented yet. <laughs> so many tools though for the same basic kind of function to measure, to build with straight lines, with pieces that fit. And why? Well, because this is absolutely the key to integrity and strength in, in construction and carpentry, accuracy. Measured building is the key to strength. When I read Luke 1, 1 through 4, I get the same sense as when I look into a whole chest full of these kinds of tools. Luke is composing the beginning of a gospel. He's just about to build a gospel. <laughs> and he begins by writing to someone named Theophilus. It's actually a, it's thought that this might be a real person or it might just be the name of the people he's writing to. Theo, God, Philos or Philio, lover, lover of God. Could be a real person though. But here he is, he's writing to put forth an orderly account. He uses that term, an orderly account. Others have made an orderly, orderly account. I'm going to make an orderly account, he says. He uses the Greek word in verse one, diegesis an orderly account. And then he says it again in verse three. I'm writing an orderly account. Although he uses a different Greek word, but it's translated the same into English. Kathexis, orderly account. I think it's a little like using two kinds of levels. 
they are a little bit different. It's the same, same kind of function, but two different tools, each with its own way of measuring, an orderly account. And in between these two expressions in verses one and three, he uses all sorts of other terms that express measuring and accuracy and facts and reality. Did you hear it this way when, when, when we were hearing it? What's he getting at here? What's he doing? He's going to write something, and the goal really is explicit. He names it in verse 4. Did you see it? That Theophilus will know what? Yeah, the truth. The truth. Truth. You remember truth? I do. Back in the old days, when there was truth, truth in advertising, truth in newscasting, truth in writing, when nonfiction really was nonfiction. But things have shifted a lot. These days it seems it's almost impossible to get the truth, especially in politics and in the news. And it doesn't matter where you are in the recent debates. I, I hear this from everyone on the, on the scale from conservative to progressive and everyone in between. It's so frustrating because the truth has seemed to elude many of us. So difficult to find. If only there were a tool, you could hold it up and point it at your radio or at your TV or at your computer screen and it would, it would light up when the truth was told and it would go off. Wouldn't that be great? That would be something. But I, I digress, because the purpose actually of coming into the master's workshop, do you remember what it was? It's in the hope of the fulfillment of that promise in Philippians 1. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I have argued in these, these weeks, as has Pastor Dan, that it is a choice Another way of describing coming into the workshop is to engage in spiritual disciplines. And we have examined some of these, prayer, solitude, meditation, study, and today, journaling. So here's the message in a nutshell. Are you a bottom line kind of person? Here's the bottom line. Do you yearn for the truth? The truth about you? One of the best ways to get in touch with it is through writing. Yes, writing. Journaling. Along with these other disciplines of prayer and study, solitude and meditation, there's also 
journaling as a spiritual discipline. Just as Luke knew that, that writing would cause Theophilus to know the truth, journaling is a way to know the truth about yourself and about God. Because, let's face it, we are not naturally in touch with the truth about ourselves. I found this to be really true of um, myself in the whole area of a very basic human function, my eating habits. <laughs> my doctor told me I had a weight problem. He said, 40 pounds. Lose 40 pounds, and you'll be the correct weight. You'll feel better. You'll even probably live longer. But I just couldn't. I went several years of him telling me that. I just, you know, I, I tried, and I just, I just couldn't. I didn't, I didn't know. I, I mean, I didn't overeat. Did I? <laughs> and then at the recommendation of a friend, I started using this really simple, actually, app on my phone, an iPhone app, to honestly log, actually journal, really, my eating and my exercise on a daily basis. I started logging everything. Holy cow. I actually found that I had been in total denial of my eating habits. The truth about me and food was that I was eating too much, eating the wrong stuff. I was fooling myself. And once I took that step, the pounds just started to come off. And then I discovered that I, if I exercised, I could increase my allotted calories, and 10 and a half months later, 40 pounds, gone. Now, this doesn't necessarily work for everyone, and I want to say that this morning. It, it just happened to work for me, and the major element, I believe, for me was that I was not in touch with the truth of what I was eating. It just wasn't. So I've been thinking about this. Hmm. Are there other areas of my life where I'm not in touch with the truth? Okay, maybe that's a dumb question. <laughs> I mean, if something as basic as my eating habits eluded me in terms of the truth, could there be other things as well? Absolutely. You know, I think about David sometimes. You remember King David? A man after God's own heart. The sweet singer of Israel. The Hebrew people always loved David. David was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He was a pretty conflicted guy. I think he was kidding himself at the point in his life when he had that adulterous affair with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then when finding out she was pregnant, 
he had Uriah killed in battle. And then after being masterfully confronted by Nathan the prophet, David wrote, he wrote a prayer. And at that key point in the prayer, of that prayer that became Psalm 51, are these epic words to God. You desire truth in the inward being. Truth. Truth from the inside out. It's also called integrity. When you really know, when you have accepted what's true about you and God. Do you have this? Really? Do you want it? I do. So here's what David did. He wrote. He put pen to paper, probably more like parchment. <laughs> and he wrote. Of course, he was also a poet, so his words were preserved because they were so beautiful. They were sung. They're the most amazing prayers that we have. And much of his prayers make up the, our book of Psalms. But poetry is not necessary. And, and the one real necessary element is actually something everyone here has access to. Honesty. It's a choice. Writing honestly is the core of the discipline of journaling. Now, if you're hearing the word, the term journal, and you're thinking diary, think again. <laughs> I want you to know that these are two different things, two different enterprises completely. Diaries are mostly about what happened in the past. I did this, I did that, I did this. Journals are about what's going on right now. And they're also about the future. There are lots of good methods for journaling. And you can easily find them online if you just do a search for journaling as a spiritual discipline. If you're wanting to learn how to journal, write that down, journaling as a spiritual discipline. If you do a Google search for that, you'll, there's like three or four articles that come up right at the top. I did this last night. One especially good article is by the writer Anne Voskamp. And um, what she suggests about journaling is especially helpful. But let me just say a couple of th introductory things about journaling as we close this morning. This may help you get started. Use Paper or a computer or something. You, you may use a moleskin, one of those little blank books. You can use a journal like the kind you, you use for, um, people use for journaling or writing in college. You know those journals that are kind of speckled um, or, or blue. We have, our, we have bookshelves full of them at our house. It doesn't really matter what you use to write. It's nice to be able to have something that's in one place. Keep it on your computer or on your tablet. Um, it doesn't really matter. You're actually not writing f to be read. 
In fact, a lot of people who journal don't really go back and read their journals that much. That's not the main thing. I rarely read my journal. Just write honestly about what's going on between you and God. Reflect on scripture that you've read or studied, but just write. Write about what's going on now. Write about what you'd like the future to look like. So that's one thing. Write out your prayers to God. This is one of the most powerful things you can do in your journal. It can absolutely transform your prayer life to write out your prayers. Dear God, this is what I'm going through right now. Please help me to do this. It, just be honest. Write down your requests. And then make a space next to the request for the answers. Actually, one of the best times to reread your journal is to go back and write answers into your prayers. It's probably one of the best uses for a journal is to keep track of answers because, you know, we just, most of us just don't do this. God answers our prayers, and we just go on as if nothing had ever happened. Write down answers to prayers. Another thing, write about what you learned today, not what you did. Remember, this is not a diary. What did I learn today? And keep track of that. And one more thing. When facing a challenge or a problem, in one of those times in life when you're thinking, what am I going to do? Stop, get your journal out, and think about these four things. Number one, who is God in this situation? Who is God? God is perfect. God is all loving. God is always present. God is all knowing. Who is God? What has God done is number two. What did God do in relation to what's going on in my life? He has offered me grace in Jesus Christ. He has shown me how to show mercy and love to those who are unlovable in Jesus Christ. What has he done? Number three, who am I in light of who God is and what God's done, who am I? I'm a son of God. I'm an heir of salvation. The things that you know about who you are, I'm a father. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a learner. Who are you? And then finally, the fourth thing. After thinking about all three of those, what do I do? Now, it's amazing how the windows can open and you suddenly know. If you stop and think about those three steps, instead of going to, what do I do, as the first step, think about those three first and then, but as you're, do, as you're thinking through this, write it down, write it down. It's amazing how 
it goes from the subjective to the objective for us when we write. It becomes real, it becomes tangible. This is journaling. But remember, the goal is truth. Truth. Jesus taught us that God is the spirit of truth. And when he promised the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, he said that he would guide us into all truth. I believe one of the ways that we can open ourselves to this is by using the gift of writing to express to God what is really going on. So on this Pentecost Sunday, how about asking the Holy Spirit to guide you into the truth about yourself and about God? And then make a commitment, make a choice to use your ability to write, to journal as a way forward in that. To know the truth, the truth. I found this this week. One of my favorite writers is Frederick Beekner. And I found this, and it really affected me. I want to share it. I'm quoting. When Jesus says that he has come to bear witness to the truth, Pilate asks, what is truth? John 18, 38. Contrary to the traditional view that his question is cynical, is it possible that he asks it with a lump in his throat? Instead of truth, capital T, truth, Pilate has only expedience. His decision to throw Jesus to the wolves is expedient. Pilate views humankind as alone in the universe with nothing but its own courage and ingenuity to see it through. It's enough to choke up anybody. Pilate asks, what is truth? And for years there have been politicians, scientists, theologians, and philosophers, poets, and so on to tell him. The sound they make is like the sounds of crickets chirping. Jesus doesn't answer Pilate's question. He just stands there. Stands. And stands there. End of quote. Truth, <laughs> it's the key to strength. It's the key to integrity. May the Holy Spirit lead us to the truth. Amen.